By what authority? Mark chapter 11. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? If you've ever cared for or had a herd of cattle, you know that one of the things you have to deal with is a lot of manure. <laughs> and it always ends up piled highest in the places where you least want it, like where you feed, in the barn, in the corrals. I mean, let's face it, cows are stupid. They, they, they poop where they eat and sleep. And I guess that's why we'd eat them instead of the other way around. So as the rancher or the caretaker, you get the rather unpleasant task of cleaning all that out. For me, back at the Hey You Cow Ranch, spring was cleanup time, and I would scoop up everything I could around the barn and the corrals and in the barn, the feeders with the old McCormick farm all we had, the farmhand on it, and put it in piles until I could get around to load it up in the farm truck later and haul it up into the hills and dump it far away from where we lived and basically let it compost. This also included a lot of handwork as, as cleaning out the stalls in the corners of the barn required scoop shovels and pitchforks and sometimes a wheelbarrow. But it, but it has to be done or eventually those places would become uncomfortable and healthy and eventually unusable. Nice picture. Jesus came into the world to do some major barn cleaning. And that's why, and that's what he's doing at the temple here in this, in this um, section of scripture we're going to read. When he's confronted by the, by the herd who think they rule the feeder. There's always a couple cows in every bunch that think they're the boss of the feeder. And if you've got more than three cows, you'll soon figure out who that is. So Jesus is being confronted by those leaders and, and asking them, what are you doing? We lack our manure, just find where it is, thank you. So this question of authority is asked to Jesus, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? To just come in here into the temple of the Lord and, and tell us how things should be to drive away our vendors and our financial assistance to mess with our program here? By what authority are you telling us how we should do things here in the house of the Lord? What gives you the right to scoop out our poop? Um, I'm the rancher? Well, if that doesn't rank as the stupidest and most ironic question of all time, then it's certainly high on the list. Who am I to demand that things be done God's way? In God's house? Well, I'm God. Any more questions? Jesus doesn't right, come right out and say that, at least not here. But he appears to be of the mindset at this point that, well, if you haven't figured it out by now, you never will. You just refuse to see. You're too blinded by your hard heart, so all that's left is to remove you. And indeed, within a generation, the priests and the Pharisees and the temple itself would be no more replaced by those who would see whose hearts were now the temple. Temples that he has cleansed, or at least offered to, from all manure. So how is your temple? Let's not go there just yet. We'll get back to that. Turn to Mark chapter 11, if you haven't already. We're going to start in verse 12. We did the first half last week. Now the next day, when the Lord had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to it to see if perhaps he could find something on it. 
And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry words through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a prayer, house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought out how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw that the fig tree had dried up at the roots. Let's jump down to verse 27 for now. Then they came again to Jerusalem, and he's walking in the temple, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders come to him, and they say to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I'll, ask, I'll also ask you one question, then answer me. And then I'll tell you about what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 1 of chapter 12. And then he began to speak to them in parables. And if we had the slideshow going, I would go to the next slide. Apparently my sound guy left town. There it is. <laughs> as soon as he walked out, it started boop. <laughs> you can't. Just think what it was like last week when you weren't here. Thank you. Reading the scripture for the day, you might think, Jesus seems a little bit harsh here. Is he in a couple of different situations? Is he having a bad day or what? First, we see him cursing the fig tree to death just because it didn't have any figs, followed by the violent driving of the merchants from the temple. You don't normally associate Jesus with violence and cursing. That's Old Testament stuff, right? We tend to forget that this is the same God whom we see in the Old Testament now comes through the Son of to usher in the covenant of grace, yes, but sin is still sin. Wrongs still need to be righted, and the laws of cause and effect are still in place. In other words, God still gets angry at things that are detrimental to his purposes and the redemption of his people. And he is a God of action, not just talk. But notice also that Jesus didn't hurt anyone or curse any people. But he made his point very clear by harsh actions and words. Jesus wasn't a pushover, and he was fearless. He also knew when it was time to meekly suffer injustice, but only when it was directed solely at him, and when it served the larger purpose of his father's plan, as we'll see at his trial and execution down the road. But even then, he's kicking some serious butt in the spiritual realm. But today, coming into the capital city of Israel, he's on a tear. He's a man on a mission who knows right from wrong, greed from good and he knows who he is and that he has authority and the right to do the things that need to be done and he has no patience for anyone or anything that is using kingdom resources and not producing fruit 
You remember also, he knows that this is the end of his road. He's only got a few days left. Despite the reception of the adoring crowds who hailed him as a victorious king as he rode into the city on a donkey's fall, he knows that he's soon going to be facing a much different reaction, reception as he's mocked, scorned, beaten, and killed, just as he had told his followers a day or two earlier on his way, way to Jerusalem. So he's not messing around anymore. Time is up. You either get it or you don't. You either show me the fruit or you get removed. It's time for truth and nothing less. This is your last chance, time to decide if you're going to be on the side of God or the side of the enemy. Jesus was not going to be denied. He was not going to tolerate the unfruitful, the arrogant, and the greedy who were just taking up space in places that were supposed to be used for giving, not for taking. The fig tree and the temple priests were collecting for their own enrichment and not feeding anyone. And Jesus had had it, and he wasn't going to take it anymore. And that would ultimately seal his doom, but that was all part of God's plan as well. Jesus is making it perfectly clear on his last days before his crucifixion that there will be a reckoning. And that in the end, everything and everyone who does not use what God has entrusted them with to love God and people to advance his kingdom would be destroyed. And that what they had would be given to those who will invest it in the kingdom. And this should remind you of at least a couple parables we've studied here recently. The parable of the talents, for one. You wicked and lazy servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown. And gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with bankers, and at my coming I would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. All of God's riches are available to all of mankind. Some refuse to acknowledge that and see that. Some take it and hoard it. And a few invest. But in the end, everyone's going to have to answer for what they did with it all. The parables in Jesus' actions here in this chapter make that very clear. Speaking of parables, I wanted to include verse 1 of chapter 12 in our reading here because it seems to me that chapter 11 is the reason why Jesus switched from playing talk to parables. I'm not going to tell you about what authority. In fact, I'm going to start speaking in parables. You're all so smart, you figure it out. He began speaking in parables so that only those who wanted to hear, who wanted to receive and invest, would hear from this point out. Because again, he was just done with the religious know-it-alls. And he's not only concerned with and focused on those whom he knows will bear fruit. And the stories, which is what parables are, have so much more impact anyways. We'll get into those in the next chapter. The stories engage emotions and imagination, and they communicate on a much deeper level. But just looking at the story unfolding here in Mark's narrative of chapter 11 of Jesus' first day or two in Jerusalem is quite impactful also as a whole, because again, the parallels here to where we seem to be in our society are startling and frightening. Twice we see the actions and responses of the authorities being affected by their fear of the people. You would think that would be a big clue to them, to the fact that what they're doing is maybe not right, but they're only concerned with holding power. The collective voice of the common people is a powerful weapon, for good or evil. 
So in our case, let's make sure that we fight to keep that voice and that we use it only for good. Back to the fig tree. Seeing from afar, the fig tree having leaves. Did you know the tree gets figs before they get leaves? I've never known a fig tree, but that's what they say. So he's make, it could very well have figs on it. It's got leaves. But when he comes to it, he finds nothing but leaves. But yet it's not the season for figs, Mark points out. In response, Jesus points to it, said to it, no one, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Interesting little footnote. The fig tree is thought to have been used here as a symbol by Jesus to get them thinking about what's about to happen. It seems harsh for Jesus to curse the fig tree for not having fruit, especially as Mark points out, it's out of season. So this would leave the disciples to start thinking about what is the larger meaning here? Why is he doing this? Why did he make a point of doing this? Which is perhaps why Mark takes pains to point out that the disciples heard it. Jesus just didn't curse a fig tree to teach a fig tree a lesson. Well, you stupid tree, I'll show you. He was teaching us something. Preparing the disciples to understand the why of what he was going to do next. Remember where Jesus is headed. He's headed to the temple where he's about to find the same situation. The temple is a place where the Lord was supposed to be blessed, where people would find sustenance and have their hunger for God sated. Instead, it had become, in Jesus' words, a den of thieves. Israel had not put forth the fruit of righteousness that the Lord hungered for, so their days were numbered. Jesus came to the tree hungry and found no fruit. The tree was removed. Jesus came to the temple hungry and found no fruit, only leaves. He removes the distractions, the manure, and eventually the temple would be removed as well. Neither the tree nor the temple were serving their purpose to feed and nourish body and soul and to honor and bless the Lord. I have to wonder how many of our churches are all leaves and no fruit. How many have even been stripped of their leaves in recent years? And particularly in this last year, it's amazing how fast it's happening, really. Disciples saw it and marveled, Matthew records of the same incident. How did this fig tree wither away so soon? How did this happen so fast? Mark gives us the answer. They saw the fig tree had dried up from the roots. No more nourishment, no more water. Death comes quickly. Jesus was not going to tolerate kingdom resources being wasted. They're entrusted to us to feed the people. Remember what Jesus told Peter when he met him for breakfast on the beach after the resurrection. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. The church was built on a rock. That was Peter's confession that Jesus is Lord, so we can easily make the jump that the main purpose of the church that Peter was to build upon that confession is to feed the sheep. In fact, what is the most often quoted reason for people leaving the church? Well, I just wasn't being fed there. Sorry, it sounded kind of snarky when I said that. But, but oftentimes that's code for I want to be taught more and challenged less. But I digress. Jesus expects his church, corporately and individually, to be providing sustenance to the flock, to be feeding the flock, doing what he wants them to do, not what they've decided is profitable and conducive to their business model of bringing more people and more money into the church. Dan and I came up with quite a scheme this morning, in fact. We just need some bodyguards and some velvet rope. And about 
50 extras. We'll get on that next week. But that's, that's what's happening in Temple. It's how can we get more people in here? How can we get more money? From a, from a distance, it looks spectacular. And it's by far the grandest and most magnificent thing all these, probably all these people have ever seen in their lives. Surely God dwells and moves in this place, and I'm excited about getting what my weary soul needs once I get in there. Then they walk in and they find themselves surrounded by a market. Being overseen and by high and mighty looking men in very expensive clothing and bling, that costs more than many of them make in a year or maybe a lifetime. And yet the smell of manure hangs heavy in the air. And then they're told their sacrifices are not sufficient. But for a price, they can exchange them for an acceptable animal. And they can exchange their heathen currency for a holy shekel. For a small fee, of course, so they can pay their entrance fee or temple tax. And of course, make sure you still tithe and give alms. And then you can stand shoulder to shoulder with the crowd and watch the spectacle of the sacrifices being made by the professional priests up on the high platform. But then, please move along. There's people waiting to get in. And then they find themselves back out in the street, hungry both in body and in soul, feeling empty and even taken advantage of. And so they use what little money they have left to buy lunch and head home, think, telling themselves that they're better off now because they did their religious duty and went to temple. Maybe next time I'll feel like I had an encounter with God. I better start saving up now. People were going to the temple hungry and going away hungrier. And that made Jesus furious. He could see exactly what's going on. He could see into the hearts of greed that had made the temple a business, and he could see the sorrow and despair in the hearts of those who came to be blessed and forgiven, but found only outstretched arms, not in blessing, but in taking. They weren't being challenged to draw near to God. They were being manipulated, shamed, and marketed, all wrapped in a polished veneer of religion to make them think that it's all necessary to keep them from being damned. It was truly evil. So yeah, a little violent overthrow of some tables was in order to try and set things right. Against the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees wouldn't let them see that Jesus was trying to spare them the true destruction, the real violence that their hard hearts were going to bring on when the Romans would destroy their temple and the very ground that it's rooted on. They, like the fig tree, would be cut off from the source of life. And to me, there's a very sobering lesson in all of that for us as a church and for me as a follower of Christ. Are we being fruitful? Am I being fruitful? We've talked about this often lately because it's literally happening, breakneck speed all around us. Churches and ministries drying up from the roots, dying overnight. And it's been happening for several years, actually. Church attendance in America is dramatically down from a decade ago, two or three decades ago. And churches have been closing left and right, either because no one's going or they can't find someone to pastor. And now the process has been sped up, as all that many ministries depended on, the financing their huge building staff programs depend on, has been severely cut. Because people have either not been allowed to go to those programs in huge buildings, or because they realize they're not truly being fed there, only entertained. The world is going to hell, and I'm getting entertained. What, what's the point of that? 
So they decide to stay home and keep their money. Or they're just happy to watch church online. It's just so much easier and I don't have to pretend I'm okay. Thank God for the means to bring the message to people who can't be in-house. But I'm sorry, but that's not church. Church is not a sermon online or otherwise. Church is a gathering of the saints, a coming together to learn, to worship, to encourage and exhort, pray and visit, laugh and cry, hug and touch, things we all need as human beings, as the church of Jesus Christ. Church is not a place or an event. We are the church. Together we are the church. Church is us coming together to have God sit enthroned on our praises, to have Jesus move amongst us when two or more gather in his name, to feel the presence of God as we invite his spirit to move among us for healing and correction. Church is a place where we gather to be taught the word of God by a pastor who loves you and knows you so that you can bear fruit to share, who challenges you to be a better person a true disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a ticket holder to heaven. It's a place where we bring our voices together and lift our songs and our hands straight to the throne of God and feel his pleasure in our sacrifice and open our hearts to hear his voice. Church is where we gather to share and give of what we've been entrusted with, knowing that it will be invested back into the kingdom, where God reveals needs that need to be alleviated and opportunities to sow and reap and equip the workers of the harvest. When the place that calls itself a church stops doing that, any and all of that, Jesus takes issue and he starts cleaning house. As a pastor in this consumer-oriented society where a church at large has embraced the marketing mindset, not unlike the corporate world, that's very frightening. And I've been involved in church leadership and ministry for a few decades now, and I know all the reasons for everything shiny and professional, all the bling and the pop, the technology and the marketing, and it all seems very reasonable and necessary to take the advantage of every means possible to share the gospel, but it too often turns into a beast that has to spend more energy and resources to feed itself than it does, than it does others. And then you wake up one day and find the people who are being drawn to your grand design are walking away never to return. Well, I thought surely God must move and dwell in this place. I was excited about getting what my weary soul needed once I was there. Instead, they found salesmen with outstretched hands promising the means to be, to be a more pleasing sacrifice to the God who wants to bless you. If you only commit to the program and keep paying the temple tax, and then Jesus comes in and turns over the money tables and dries out the merchants, rebukes the priests, and speaks in parables the mystery of the kingdom to those who want to hear, who have ears to hear. And those who do stick around to hear will be asked to share. And they will, because they can't hold in the fire. God cannot be stopped, and his plan cannot be thwarted. And the enemy fears that. The true church will survive and prevail. Jeremiah, my favorite prophet, Probably because he didn't like being a prophet. He spoke what he was supposed to speak. People who have spoken his words. Because the people have spoken his words, I will make my words in your mouth a fire, and these people of the, and the wood it consumes. 
who gave you the authority? God did. Any more stupid questions? No one can stand up or prevail against God's word and the wisdom given to those who love God and his word. The scribes and the chief priests heard and saw how they might destroy him. The words in Jesus' mouth were like a fire in the air to kindle that consumes it, just as Jeremiah had prophesied, as is the word in all of our morals who love God. For they feared him. They saw how they might destroy him before they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Those who treasured their authority and power feared Jesus because they could not wit him. His truth was unanswerable. They also feared the people who followed Jesus. Who knew the truth when they heard it. But the arrogant had only manipulated and twisted truths made to fit their own purposes. So Jesus and those who follow them have to be silenced. They have to be destroyed. They had seen the response of the crowd to his arrival, the big triumphal entry, and they know that their grasp on power, on their version of truth, is being threatened by something that they can't overcome honestly. So they have to connive in secret to stop and shame the Lord and his followers. If you don't see the parallels there to where we are in our country today, then I've failed you miserably as a pastor, or you've been asleep and deceived for too long. I'm not telling you this to discourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on each other. Don't give up on Jesus, especially. You've survived several rounds of cuts now. And the big game is just about to begin. The final battles for the souls of mankind. And the fate of nations. Those battles are being queued up. And you're being readied. You've been given the authority, the weapons, and the armor. The only thing left is to make sure that your own temple is cleared out. How is your temple? Back to that question. It's relevant because all the stripping away of things that clutter up the temple, the removal of all things that look good and productive from a distance yet produce no fruit, applies to us as individuals also, as temples of the Holy Spirit. We can only carry so much and still make it up that proverbial mountain. Speaking of mountains, after I cleaned all that manure out of my barn and their feeders and the corrals, put it in piles, at some point I needed to haul it away. So I put it in the back of our old farm truck, three and a half ton truck, 60, 66 Ford, I believe it was, with the dump box on it. And I would haul it up the hill, what in any place east of the Mississippi would be called a mountain. Out here it's just a hill. But one day it didn't go so well. I was a little top heavy. I loaded the manure when it was still pretty wet and I had it piled up pretty good and that dump box would sway a little bit because there's nothing attached in the front of it, you know, because it pivots on the back. Well, I drove down our driveway, the Hey Cow Ranch Road, just because that's fun to say, and the road kind of angles this way away from the county road because normally that's the way you go. But I needed to go this way, so that's quite a turn in that big old truck. And I, Sometimes I got to back up and take a couple shots at it. Well, it looks like I'm going to make it. I wasn't. <laughs> On the other side of the county road is a pretty, pretty steep bank where they kind of built it up in a low spot. And uh, I got over just a little bit, and that, that load started to move a little bit this way. And then that box started to go, and it just pulled me with it. Boom! All of a sudden, I'm on the side in the barrel pit. 
and uh, being slammed across the six-foot bench seat of that big old steel truck, and uh, I wasn't going anywhere. Certainly wasn't going to make it to the top of the hill. I was literally carrying too much crap. <laughs> There's no kids here today, right? When the disciples were marveling at the dead fig tree and commenting that it dried up almost immediately, they asked, how can this be? Jesus told them, it's no big thing. If you believe that you receive what you pray for, you can cast mountains into the sea. Unless, unless there's clutter in your own temple. Unless you're carrying too much manure. Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask and pray, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I believe that's a qualifier for the first thing he's saying. You have to let it go. It's only going to destroy you. And you have mountains still to climb. The Lord gave me a word when we were starting this. Um, when I was starting a sermon, I was working on it. You have all the authority. You have all the privileges of sonship. Fear not, do not shirk, do not shrink from, shrink from your duties. And know that I am with you. That was kind of the point. By what authority? By God's authority. As sons and daughters of the kingdom, as prince, kings and rulers, as the NKG calls it, KJV, whatever. <laughs> we're, we're priests and rulers in the kingdom. That gives us the authority to speak God's word on God's behalf. And uh, the enemy is going full out, great guns, no holds bars to stop us at this point. And it's becoming quite evident. And uh, his tools, tools he's never had before technology-wise, are, are pretty uh, powerful, lack of a better word. But he can't silence us. Only we can silence us. And people need what we have to say. People need to hear, but make sure that what you're saying is what the Lord wants you to speak. That we're not just being provocative or argumentative. There is a time to stand your ground. There is a time to say something. You know, it's probably beginning to get your butt in a ringer. Jeremiah was good at that. If you want to know what life is like for someone who truly speaks what the Lord asks them to speak, read the book of Jeremiah but his voice is still affecting us today because he was bold enough to speak. He changed the world. That's what God's asking us to do. And Jesus told his followers, don't worry, they're going to bring you up before, before rulers and authorities, but don't worry about beforehand what you're going to say because I will give you the words in that hour. In other words, when it's time for you to speak, I'm going to tell you what to say. That's the Holy Spirit in us. It's not just what we can memorize. It's not 
clever things we can come up with. It's not Facebook memes. It's what the Lord puts on our hearts to speak at the moment it needs to be spoken. And no one wanted to shut up. <laughs> I think that's an Ecclesiastes. There's a time to speak and a time to shut up. <laughs> My version. Anyways, just be encouraged. Our God is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for trusting us to live in this time, in this place. And Lord, really overall, we are extremely blessed. And uh, we thank you for that, that we do get to live in this time and place. But Lord, we have those blessings, we have those resources so that we can invest them. And Lord, that's, that's what we need to, to learn how to do and show us ways, give us opportunities to do that. Invest the wisdom, invest the resources, physical, spiritual, emotional. And Lord, please clear out the manure. Help us to let go of the things that are preventing us from being and doing and investing all that you purposed us to be doing and have. We thank you, Lord, that you do give us a purpose. You do have a plan for us. And Lord, we just help us to let go. Help us to forgive as you've forgiven us. That's one of the few main tenets of, of an effective prayer that you taught us to pray. Forgive me for my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against us. Then we can move mountains. We don't even need to try to climb them. We can just move them. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to walk in your love and to do your love. Lord, indeed, we do love you. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name. Okay. Be blessed, church. Love you.